Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Fast X. You know, we'd already be there if Roman wasn't driving four knocks on wheels. You see me shining, baby. We're locked inside. It's a trap. That's a bomb. All right, dorks, what are we blowing up? What? The Vatican? Wow. You guys are going to hell. All right, everybody. You were just listening to the trailer for Fast X, and the story is as follows. Over many missions and against impossible odds, Dom Toretto and his family have outsmarted and outdriven every foe in their path. Now they must confront the most lethal opponent they've ever faced. Fueled by revenge, a terrifying threat emerges from the shadows of the past to shatter Dom's world and destroy everything and everyone he loves. The film stars, deep breath, Vin Diesel, Michelle Rodriguez, Jason Statham, Jordana Brewster, Tyrese Gibson, Chris Ludacris Bridges, Natalie Emanuel, Charlize Theron, John Cena, Sung Kang, Helen Mirren, Brie Larson, Scott Eastwood with Jason Momoa and Rita Moreno. It is directed by Louis Leterrier and written by Don Mazzo and Justin Lin. Here to join me for this podcast review, I have Brendan Hodges. Hello, hello. Giovanni Lago. Hello, everyone. Meredith Loftus. I need more Nas, man. And Will Mavity. Hello, hello. So you may be wondering, hmm, Matt sounds a bit different today. That's because uh, I'm not Matt. My name is Cody. I'm Cody Darius. I'm one of the contributors here at Next Best Picture. Matt is a little occupied over at some little film festival in France called Cannes. So he asked me to pick up the reins or rather drive the steering wheel, whatever the metaphor would be for a car. I think this is the first time in Next Best Picture history that Matt's not been on a podcast. So this is going to be very interesting. I'm really excited to get this discussion going. So this is the 10th entry in the Fast and Furious franchise. And depending on however Vin Diesel is feeling that day, it is either the second to last or the third to last in the franchise. But they've been saying this franchise is wrapping up since the third one, basically. So who knows what the future holds for this franchise. But in the meantime, we have Fast X, the latest installment in the esteemed Fast and Furious franchise. I'm going to go around and ask everybody what they thought, not just about Fast X, but their experience and their history and their thoughts about the Fast saga in general. Brendan, would you like to start us out? Yeah, sure. Thank you. Against all odds, Cody... I went into this movie not expecting to like it. The early buzz wasn't great. And I wound up genuinely having a very good time at the movie. Uh, my experience with the franchise is basically that I always thought of them as the car race movies when I was a kid. And I really only 
caught up with them when Fast Five came out to surprisingly great reviews. And I was like, oh man, I have to watch this. And I did. And I thought it was absolutely terrific. I caught up and everything. And I've been on the ride ever since. Eight and nine, I think, are pretty rough. This is my favorite since seven. I can't promise the listeners it's a great movie, but it, for me, was a surprisingly fun movie. The plot is kind of held together by, you know, weak old shoestring and, and bubblegum, but I, I really enjoyed the way the camera is so active in the movie from Letier's visual style. I actually think he's a big visual upgrade just from a craft point of view from Lynn. Lynn knows how to craft a better movie and maybe knows how to craft a better action scene. But in terms of planning shots, doing dynamic things with the action, every action scene in this movie has a really good concept driving what it should be. My favorite is the one in Rome where they have to stop a bomb shaped as a sphere a metal sphere barreling through to the Vatican. And it almost is like a Tears of the Kingdom physics puzzle of how to stop it. I wound up having a great time, but I have to say one last thing really quick about Jason Momoa, because he is incredible. He pumps half the lifeblood into this movie through sheer movie star charisma. He's playing a cross between the Count of Monte Cristo is a revenge plot with almost like the Joker. And he's probably the best villain of the franchise. And he's one of the most fun performances this year. I'm glad somebody got a Tears of the Kingdom reference in there. Thank you very much, Brendan. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, Giovanni, how about you? I would always say I've been into Fast and Furious since like it started. I remember as a kid growing up, and the movies were coming out. And it was one of those things that like my parents probably wouldn't be like, hey, you could watch this because, you know, it's racing and there's always shots of just women dancing inappropriately for maybe a five-year-old to be like yeah you could watch these movies so there was like a, a factor of like me sneaking away and watching it when they're asleep and then like getting like the racing games on like ps2 or whatever so i have a deep fondness of growing up with this franchise i i would say like i will defend the first five movies with my life okay like too fast too furious is iconic to me growing up like forget about it cuh all right you know it's so good and then as the series went on it's just slowly got rougher and rougher i will say you know fast five was the one that very much shifted these films uh but in a way that it felt natural to me you know a lot of them were like heist films or like them working for like the feds in a way that felt tangible And then after five, I think six is where it's like, we're super spies with cars and we're practically superhero movies to the point of parody. And it works for like a degree. I thought seven, I really enjoyed, you know, everything that happens is just not plausible, but in a way that in the back of my mind, I'm like, yeah, like I watched Paul Walker and Vin Diesel and Fast 7 drive through the three towers in Abu Dhabi. And in my mind, I'm like, that is not possible. No way on earth that's possible. But then there's like the little like brain cell in the back that's like, but maybe, you know, it could be. And then as it goes on, the films just constantly have to try to one up itself to the point where any grounds of realism just kind of, although barely there in the series, just is gone. So when Fast 9 happened and they go to space, I was like, okay, I, I drew the line. I was kind of where I checked out. 
it was the moment that I was like, you know, I get why some of my friends clown on me for liking these movies because that shit is dumb. And usually there were entertaining dumb movies with explosions that you could turn off your mind. But I don't know what happened with like the last two that they've gotten a bit very self-serious that it robs it of like being fun. So then coming into Fast X, I was very trepidatious because Fast 9, I had a horrible time. And I just continued. I did not like this movie at all. I think it is held together by like the cheapest of glue. You know, watching it, I'm just like, this movie cost $350 million. That's wild. You have every celebrity pop into this movie that I A, either did not know or B, forgot. Like Rita Moreno shows up in the beginning and I literally was like, what? You're, oh my God, we got Rita. Everyone's in this movie. Brie Larson's in this movie. Alan Richards, uh, Richson, who, you know, reach your hive, stand up, you know, it's cool to see him. Like everyone you could think of that's like, who hasn't been in a Fast and Furious movie? Let's just cram them in. Who has been in a Fast and Furious movie? Let's bring them back. And I don't know, like it was just rough. I found all the set pieces boring. They were just so lazily slopped together. There's one sequence in the whole movie that reminded me of the good old times. It gave me like, not really nostalgia, but I was like, oh yeah. And it was the whole Rio sequence where it was just racing. And I know that's really not what the series is anymore, but everything with like the conversations between uh, Dom and um, what was Jason Momoa's? I can't even remember Jason Momoa's character's name. It was Dante, right? They're just going back and forth. And then they're like, this is Brazil, you know, type stuff. And I was like, oh, I remember this. This is good. You know, it was like the little member berries where it's like good old days. And then it's like, okay, let's get back to like the most where he's driving off a dam. So many characters now in these storyline that it's like so much they have to focus on and some of it's just forgotten and some are far more or less interesting than others. And like, especially the ending, I will talk about this more. Oh my God. The ending of this movie, I had, I had a rough time. I was not a fan, but like Brendan said, Jason Momoa is great. He's probably the only thing that kept me checked in insanely fun performance. I feel like Jason Momoa is the only person in this movie who knew the type of movie they were in. And it's like, I'm just hamming it up. It reminds me of like a more whacked out version of Pedro Pascal in Wonder Woman 1984. I'm like, yes, everything about it, his costume design, like the, the nails painted, the hairstyles, like he's just having a blast. And he's just the only sense of energy in a movie that's quote unquote high octane fuel. So uh, did not have fun, but I will still probably watch the others. Yeah, they got you at this point. If you're on the 10th one, you're not not going to see the 11th and maybe 12th one, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Meredith, what did you think? Fun fact, my first Fast and Furious movie was Hobbs and Shaw when it was in theaters. So I was kind of late to the Fast franchise. A couple of years ago, uh, right before F9 came out, I decided to marathon all of the movies and... I have seen a lot of things happen in the Fast franchise. The one that still gets me is in the fourth one. There's a street race in Koreatown, which if you live in LA, is the most implausible thing to ever happen in a Fast movie, in my personal opinion. I kept with it, and I found myself tearing up at the end of Furious 7 when Ben and Paul Walker's cars just like split off as see you again plays that's when I knew I was in also like when I was watching it I was amazed to find out that fast five 
came out before the Avengers. The Fast franchise did the Avengers before the Avengers, honestly, because now they are basically superhero movies. Logic, physics, they're all thrown out the window. Like, we buy into this really crazy franchise where, like, cars can just go to outer space and we're all just perfectly fine with it or not, depending. But for me, I'm like, whatever you want to do at this point. I wasn't the biggest fan of F9, but I think I was just excited of like, oh, I'm in it now. I get it. That I just kind of like looked over a lot of flaws when I saw that movie. But I kept my expectations kind of tempered for Fast 10, especially since Justin Lin left. And like that was really dramatic because, you know, he kind of brought the franchise to where it is today. But I had a lot of fun with Fast 10, uh, Fast X, if you will. It was just high adrenaline, ridiculousness in a way that like it wasn't as bad as Fast 9 of going to outer space. Vin Diesel driving down a dam felt in a Fast movie very believable. I couldn't believe it. I was like, yeah, this makes sense. I really enjoyed uh, a lot of like the character moments throughout it. Especially, no one's talked about this yet, but John Cena going from the villain in the last movie to, like, the fun uncle in this one was such the right move for him. I think ever since Peacemaker, John Cena playing into his comedy roots, but also being a badass at the same time is, like, where he works best for me. So to see him kind of, like, take that on for Dom's son I thought was like the right move for him I was disappointed that there still really wasn't justice for Han in the movie with Decker Shaw actually he was there and he was gone which was a little disappointing but to sound like a broken record I guess at this point Jason Momoa is like worth the price of admission from the moment he steps on screen to when he has these pigtail buns and he's painting uh, nails on a corpse he knows exactly what movies he's in and he makes it just so much more enjoyable than anything we've had with the past villain cypher and even jacob and even deckard shaw too like i don't think he still belongs in the family but that's a different story Yeah, at the end of the day, like, it really does feel like a part one to a part two or part three finale, especially how it ends. I just had a really good time. Like, I left logic and physics out the window, and it worked for me. Also, like Gia said, I think the best parts of this movie is when it reminds you of how good Fast Five was when they're in Rio. Dante being connected to the Fast Five movies. I think that's where the franchise really peaked. And then to kind of like use that to tie things, albeit very loosely together in this movie, it still really worked for me. So yeah, I had fun with Fast 10. Got some mixed responses here. Very, very curious to see where we end up as a collective. So what's Will Mavity going to say? I'm not sure what it is that I most enjoy about this franchise. I think to some degree, I have just come to embrace the ridiculousness in terms of physics-defying stunts. And part of the reason I think I didn't enjoy this one as much is it feels unengaged in creating, with the exception of 
the chase through Rome, which I agree with Brendan is great. And I think in terms of action sequences, the film peaks there, which is a problem when that's like half an hour into the of a two and a half hour movie. A lot of the action sequences feel kind of curiously tepid. You know, it keeps trying to throw in drama between the characters to give them fist fights here and there. And those are of varying degrees of entertainment value. And just generally, it feels kind of flat by the standards of the franchise. And I think one thing that Gio mentioned is that the last two, they've tried to kind of take themselves seriously. And you keep having that. It's really mining everything for pathos. You've got, you know, that scene... Oh, oh, Vin Diesel's trying to show he can actually act. And he's doing, you know, he's crying when he's speaking to the, um, what's her name from Suicide, the Suicide Squad, the Brazilian actress. It's the, um, the sister of uh, the sister, yeah, Elena, yeah. Her, Me the <laughs> name. Yeah, but, you know, he's like, oh, a cop and a street racer drive enough miles and you see how. How much do they really have in common? He's got like a single tear coming down his face. And then Han going into face Shaw. There's just a lot of forced tension between these characters, which I get you gotta do because there's not a whole lot of plot naturally here. But it feels often too self-serious. And for a movie that is going to culminate with Dom driving down a dam, it's kind of a weird tension. And... On top of that, I think what works best with these films is the family. And I know that, okay, well, Dom is weakest without his family, but when you split everybody up like this, it's much less engaging. I I have never been a fan of Vin Diesel as an actor. I think he's, he's kind of a black hole when it comes to charisma. And Fast Five is fun because it's essentially a heist film and you do have everyone kind of interacting with each other but oh we're gonna split them up and we do have everyone in here but they're for the most part in it for very small amounts of screen time and their storylines are often not engaging and just the editing in this movie or the screenplay structure whatever you want to blame is just awful the way it keeps jumping around and it just kills the tension in whatever uh, plot line you're following because, oh, something's happening with Dom. Bam! We're back for literally a minute and a half at the black side in Antarctica. And then, bam, we're following the group in London. when the, the pacing and structure is awful and it makes it very hard to get engaged. So, you know, it, it's fun enough. This time around, whenever you have the banter between Tyrese and Ludacris, that happens. But it's just, I don't know, man. The fun and what generally makes this franchise work seems kind of drained out of it. I'm a little bit optimistic that part two, which might be the last one or might be the second to last one, you know, maybe they're setting it up to have a little bit more of what the franchise works. They've split everyone up. Now they're going to get back together. I'm sure they're saving a lot of the more audacious set pieces for the next one. But man, I mean, this felt like it's a part one and it shows. And by the way, that I, I could not stop laughing at that ending. Are you fucking kidding me? Um, we're going to end there. 
So yeah, not not a huge fan of this one, I would say. I, none of the franchise, with a couple exceptions, I'd say is high art, but this is definitely towards the lower end of the scale. I can't believe Will was the first one to mention family. It took us this long into the podcast to bring that word up. You've watched them in unforgettable adventures, love affairs, and tragedies. Now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories. From the makers of Death of a Rockstar and Death of a Sports Star, this is Death Ready. of a Film Star. And Starring Heath Ledger, Marilyn Monroe, Chadwick Boseman, Robin Williams, Carrie Fisher, and Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs. All right. So this this franchise is curious to me. I was brought to it by some friends who have loved it for years now. And before the release of Fate of the Furious, we did a, a, a maniac 24-hour marathon of all seven movies up to that point, plus two interstitial short films. So it was a lot of <laughs> Fast and the Furious all in once, and it ended at the time with Furious 7, which I still maintain is pretty transcendent action cinema. It's pretty well-directed, and it has that incredible send-off ending to Paul Walker, which, again, this was <laughs> when I last saw it and first saw it, it was within a 24-hour Fast and Furious marathon, so there was a lot of strange emotions going on and we definitely were all crying at the end of that movie but i i still can watch the ending of fury 7 and it gets me with that song and paul walker driving off in the opposite lane it's just really shockingly moving cinema for what is to you know a lot of people just say dumb action franchise and i think unfortunately that's proved to be the peak of the franchise because every film since then has been truly diminishing returns i was really not engaged by f9 even though it was literally the first movie i saw back in theaters after a year and a half of covid and it still didn't get me and fast x i'm sorry to say has really not not changed that trajectory i was shockingly bored for almost the entire movie you know, you go into this movie expecting the plot to be what it is, whether that's ridiculous or thin or both at the same time. But you're at least hoping for some decent action sequences, some stunts you haven't seen before, some clever practical effects, maybe stuff with actual cars. And this movie has almost none of that. There is an over-reliance on really ugly looking CGI, even for just banal driving scenes, not just for the big action stuff. And... There is not really any sort of crowning achievement action sequence. There's been a lot of talk about this scene with the bomb rolling through Rome. And yeah, that's memorable, but I didn't really find myself swept away with it. Again, a lot in part due to some really ugly CGI. And with the budget this movie has, that's kind of inexcusable. Although you look at that cast list and I have to imagine most of the budget is going to people rather than cars. But yeah, I was shockingly let down by how flat this movie is. It was really unengaging for a movie that has more explosions than lines of dialogue. That being said, Jason Momoa, Jason Momoa, Jason Momoa. I cannot say enough good things about his performance. Every time he's on screen, the movie doubles in quality at least. And it's the kind of performance where you wonder if he was in a better movie, if it would still be such a standout. But 
I think he just is just doing something really miraculous here. It's a it's a unpredictable performance. It reminded me in parts of what Johnny Depp does in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, at least the the original ones. He's a very live wire zany character, which acts as a wonderful foil to how deadly serious Vin Diesel is in these movies. And I swear it just gets more and more morose with every movie. So Jason Momoa, I don't want to say he's enough of a reason to see the movie, but he's definitely the best reason to see it. Yeah, Cody, I would, uh, I think part of the reason we're kind of dancing around why this movie was so expensive and so bad is I think it was kind of a, a clusterfuck of a production at this point, that's kind of par of the course for blockbusters these days. But, you know, Justin Lin was supposed to direct this and started directing and then dropped out. He wasn't even fired. He just was like, I can't do this anymore. And he quit. And that's why we brought in Louis Leterrier. And then apparently it was written to have a crucial big set piece in, like, Ukraine. And okay. um, for obvious reasons, that didn't happen. So they were restructuring the film on the fly. And I do think probably that's part of why the budget ballooned and why it's also so hung together by Chicken Wire and Play-Doh. Mm-hmm. But, you know, at the end of the day, other films have come up with something better than this. Despite right. those production obstacles. I agree with Louis Leterrier that or I agree with Brendan, Louis Leterrier moves the camera in some interesting ways. However, he sucks at staging basic dialogue scenes. Anytime we're in Dom's house with his family, it's really poorly blocked, it's poorly shot. At least Justin Lin often liked some practical effects. This is awful, really bad CGI. Oh my god, you're exactly right. And it just robs the everything you see on screen of any kind of tactility and life in general. It's the anti-Mission Impossible, right? You go to see those movies to see the audacious things they did in camera, and here it's just like, okay. You know, he mentioned Justin Lin, and at least with Lin also, like the scenes where they're like having the barbecues and everything or talking, I at least feel like the actors are on set together. Besides like the barbecue scene, like the very beginning, you w- if you told me, that they filmed every actor like in separate locations and just spliced it together, I would not be surprised. Like they look like they're not even in the same like continent. Especially like and like everything is just so stitched. Like because first off, the beginning of this movie is literally like, okay, how do we recap people and everything? It's like, let's just show off like literally a five minute recap of Fast X and then just of terribly a better movie. Yeah, yeah. And then just terribly stitch in Jason Momoa. And then you see that whole thing get stitched in again for like a reveal <laughs> later in the movie. And it just, and no one looks like they're there at all. Especially with the action sequences, that whole Rome sequence. I know Brendan really enjoyed and I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it. But I'm watching it and you get like no sense of direction or like anything. Like everything is just paste, paste on screen. And at least with, you know, Lynn and the previous films, as again, as they've gone on, you know, they constantly want to up the stakes and do more ridiculous things. But the least practicality of it makes it so uninteresting to watch. Like, there's, like, a whole scene where, like, at the end, like, Vin Diesel's like, don't worry. And he drops onto, like, a bridge into, like, two cars, which, by the way, it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. I know, but, like, what, is there a single set piece where, like, cars are, like, blowing up that I'm, like, they actually used 
a real car. At least in like the bridge sequence in like Fast Five that they recap, I'm remembering like they're moving the safe around and like the cars are getting demolished into into the river. And I was like, that was you know what? That was some really good practical filmmaking. And in my mind, I'm like, how did the stunt drivers do that without just turned into like, like bananas? That's the uh, thing is it's not just about practical filmmaking being better on the eyes. I think it is better for the audience members' comprehension of stakes because at a certain point it just becomes like watching rubber bouncing around a screen like bouncy balls. There's no weight to the peril that these characters are, were supposed to feel that they're in because it just doesn't feel anything close to something that's on planet Earth. Yeah. I totally agree. And stakes also. With Meredith, do you feel the stakes? I know you, you enjoyed it more than I did. Well, I was just like, nothing's important. Well, here's what I'll say. I do think that these movies are theme park movies. And I think part of the reason why I enjoyed Facts 10, full disclosure, I saw it in 40X. So you talk about those action scenes. I was in those action scenes. I was driving around Rome. I was street racing in Rio. I was in it. So I know that that's not a fair analysis. I am seeing it again in IMAX tonight. So opinions may vary. But when I go into these movies, that's kind of how I treat them. Physics, we don't know her. She's out the window. (laughs) I do think the stakes of the stuff involving Dom's son, that kind of worked for me. But you got to remember, they parodied themselves in this movie the scene between Ames and Test literally talking about the family and like Dom's connection to the agency that was them being super self-aware and at that point I'm like yeah they know exactly what this movie has turned into yet they treat it like it's Shakespeare outside of Jason Momoa Well, I think what's important to realize about these movies is that they're soap operas. And the same thing with soap operas is those characters and those actors take every moment deathly seriously. And I don't not believe a lot of what the characters are saying in terms of the fact that the actors are playing them as people who believe what they're saying. So I guess there's a there's applause to be given out there. But again, some of it is just those dialogue scenes. I think Will mentioned a lot of the blocking is really rough. I also found there's a lot of strange offbeat humor in this that made me feel like I had fallen asleep for five seconds and woken back up. Specifically, there's a scene with an improbable Pete Davidson out of nowhere (laughs) where there's so many (laughs) jokes and gags. My audience, there was a lot of reactions to people popping up in this movie. I don't want to reveal them because there's a lot of surprises to be had. That was definitely the most mystifying reaction from my audience. (laughs) They didn't quite know what to do with Pete Davidson there. But there's some jokes in that scene that are American Pie level kind of humor. It just didn't really work for me. And I don't think Leteria is the right director to handle those kinds of scenes. That's fair. But I will say that for whatever reason, the father-son angle kind of endeared me to the premise of the film. And I think part of that is I've not grown up with these characters as such because I only really got into the series around Fast Five, but that was a while ago now. And seeing a character that is technically one of the most famous movie characters in the world now as a father, and the way it's done weirdly got got to me. I don't know why, but it did. There's something about it. I'm not saying that it's necessarily well-written or even well-performed, but something about it reached me on a little bit of a level. And I'll say that 
everything you're saying about the bad CGI, the iffy blocking, that's all true. But I do think that a really important detail here is given the fact that he came in last minute. And for me, I, how do I put this? I don't watch these movies necessarily expecting a proper film. For me, this franchise, even the best entries, like that really terrific run of five, six, and seven, those aren't really functioning as proper cinema, as you would say. What I mean by that is the plot is intentionally hollowed out. Uh, the characters are kind of ciphers of themselves. The, the family becomes this kind of almost code word of how to get everybody together in the movies and everything. And I guess because of that, I don't expect some of the things that you might expect or want from other movies. When I see one of these movies, I just want the visuals to be half interesting. And that's quite literal in this movie because I do think half the visuals are terrific and half, especially in dialogue, like Will said, not as great. But he actually has concepts driving, sorry, the action. There's this great set piece that I really enjoyed where they're all coming for Dom's son and John Cena shows up. And the way that he stages the action by using the set and blowing holes in it and throwing people down multiple levels of the home, it is really creatively done, I thought. And the movie, for me, I enjoyed the action here so much more than the last two, because even if there's a lot of CGI, it is a lot more grounded. It is generally much less cartoonish, I thought, than the last two, because they're not getting chased by a massive nuclear submarine. They're not going into space. Vehicles aren't plummeting off cliffs and people are surviving. It's weirdly enough, a bit more grounded. And I think that's why, Will, I think it was you said the action feels flat by the standards of the franchise, but I actually felt it was refreshing for the action to be slightly more on planet earth and choosing when to kind of be cartoonish a bit more carefully, like the ending or when Dom throws his car a certain way to, to try to get rid of the bomb. So that stuff I did enjoy. And I got the stakes from that, but I'll be honest, half the movie, I was just sitting there kind of enjoying the fact that, okay, they have actual stakes in the sense where they're trying to save a kid, kind of the apotheosis of the family theme. And I can't say that it's all terrific, but as Meredith was saying, I do think that John Cena and Dom's kid, I forget the young actor's name, do such a great job reminding the audience that this is a likable young character. John Cena humanizes him even more than Vin Diesel does. It's a good performance from John Cena. And I think that keeps the stakes of the overall film relatively high because we're thinking, oh my gosh. Jason Momoa playing this insane character. What's going to happen if he gets this nice kid? That's how it worked for me. I do think the best subplot is, you're correct, the John Cena and Dom's son things. The actor who plays Dom's son, is uh, his name is Leo Abelo Perry. And I agree. I think he's a great child actor. I think he and John Cena have really good on-screen chemistry. There's kind of almost a Terminator 2 dynamic to it at times. It's just, it is one of the more well-done human-based subplots. and. In terms of Leterrier's visuals that do work, I was pretty impressed with some of the camera moves he does that are going in and out of the, and around the cars that are 
clearly artificial CGI cameras. There's no way the camera could actually move in that way. But he does some interesting things within the actual interiors of the cars to show, you know, emphasize different parts of it and what the characters are doing with different parts of the car. I, I think that was at least something interesting and different, even if it didn't always look that great. Again, the aforementioned not great CGI. I will say one thing Brendan did mention, I, I, I will give credit where credit's due. When Cena comes in that house set piece, action does spice up a little and the camera work is far more interesting and it does feel grounded. And then I watched that something compared, you know, you mentioned Fast 8, like sequence. I thought like the prison sequence in Fast 8 worked so well because A, the energy and chemistry between Statham and The Rock works so well. I mean, we saw how well it is. They thought they're like, hey, let's give them a spinoff. And they're also two of the better characters that have been in this franchise recently. And both of them are either not in this movie or they're there for very little. You know, the father-son relationship, we get more of that kind of father-son relationship from Cena and the kid than Vin Diesel and his own child. The whole movie's just like, oh, street racing, I gotta save my kid. But, like, they kind of did that whole dynamic in Fast 8, like, his whole, like, when Dom went turned on the family and him, like, fighting for the kid. And even, like, the acting, you know, say whatever we want about Vin Diesel, he truly cares about this franchise a lot and i i think his acting in this film is practically like as interesting as paint drying he's doing the same thing from fast eight but like, like at a far less effective level because at least in fast eight i'm like i'm buying it a bit more and in this film i'm just I, i'm not at all and then it just culminates to like the ending which if you've seen the trailer you like it's revealed for you and then you're just like, oh, well, okay, I got to wait like another two years to see how this finishes. The thing about Vin Diesel is directors come and go with this franchise. He's absolutely the auteur vision of this franchise. He's clearly taken on the mantle of the person who holds the key to the future of the franchise in terms of the plot and apparently how many movies there are going to be. I wonder if some of that is a surprise to the executives at Universal, but that's a different story. And I think because he has crafted so much of his personality as a movie star around this franchise, he cannot afford to deviate from the template he set for this character 20 years ago, which means there's not much room for him to deliver a surprising or interesting performance. It is a lot of the same. And if you're going into this knowing that and that's something you appreciate, you're going to get exactly what you wanted. It's you know, a lot of grumbling, a lot of talk about family. He's doing the classic Dom Toretto thing that he's been doing for, again, 20 years. But that doesn't mean it's not a bit tiring to watch. In terms of other performances, again, we're all talking about Jason Momoa, who I do think is obviously, again, the best thing this movie has going on. Were there any other performances that stood out to anybody? I think I would go so far as to say that not only was it lacking in interesting performances beyond him i would say that some of the performances by people who are otherwise good actors were actively poor i think some of the dialogue that they've saddled brie larson's character with for example you know like meryl streep couldn't sell some of that the scene where she is meeting with who's the actor who plays the new head of quote-unquote the agency from smallville Oh, that scene that they were basically inside a computer? Yeah, yeah, that scene, it feels so stilted. The the line deliveries from both of them, just awful. She, at, at times, we saw some of the charisma I associate with her 
but she felt off here. And then some of the other actors, you know, it's it's more just blink and you miss it. Oh, there's Rita Moreno for five minutes. I'm not really sure why she was here. Oh, there's uh, Helen Mirren. So nobody really gets the chance to shine. I think to the extent anyone does, I don't remember who it was who mentioned Cena. Was that Meredith? Yeah, I, I think Cena, you know, they, they let him do more of his natural Cena thing. And I think that probably, other than Momoa, was probably where we got the most life in this movie is when he was on screen. But I think everything about Momoa, I think he brings something that's so interesting. It's not just his performance. There's like a very just ghoulish, macabre element to everything involved. That scene where he's painting the toenails of corpses, I thought, and you, you cut to their faces, and they've clearly been tortured and disfigured. I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. You know, like that is unusually nasty for this franchise, which is weirdly kind of sanitized. So, yeah, I would say it's the Momoa show and it's the Cena show. And then everyone else we either don't spend enough time with or the work is actively bad. That scene yeah. where he's messing with those corpses was almost shocking. You're right, Will. I think it's extra shocking because we're so used to watching the actors, especially the good guys in this series, just fling their bodies around like ragdolls and not even get a bruise. So to see actual impacted bodies in this movie even in, in a funny scene is shocking which apparently was a scene i read online they added later because of how much they enjoyed momoa's performance in this and i completely co-sign everything will just said brie larson in particular is shockingly bad she's given really poor material but even so it's a, the type of performance that you would never think that she wants all of this acclaim in the past. And she's was at once upon a time, one of our most celebrated working actors. Um, and I want her to go back to dramatic work at some point. But in terms of Momoa, I think that is why the stakes felt so real for me for a big part of it. Because as you're saying with that ghoulish quality, I really like that the movie didn't pull its punches. He kills characters in this movie. He actually does what he sets out to do for the most part of the film. Most of the movie is him winning at his little missions, his Joker-esque uh, mind games. And the characters are on the back foot for so much of the film. And he brings that energy to it. But it's also the fact that he is someone who actually has to be reckoned with. He's a character that, unlike other villains, feels like someone they could just kind of steamroll over because he's killing characters. His schemes are genuinely novel and interesting for the most part. I did think it was a bit sketchy that he just went from rags to not only riches, but having a private army that could appear at every country in the world. But hey, it's Fast and Furious is what you get when you see these movies. So if this is the part one of a part two finale or part one of a part three finale. I feel like Dante here is basically this franchise's Thanos and this is their Infinity War because he keeps winning. Yeah, he very much is more of the main star than anybody else in this movie. I wouldn't be surprised if 
based off like the reactions of everyone, you know, loving Momoa, they probably aren't just rewriting stuff and like for for sure keeping him as like if he's not already the main villain for like the next one or two, they are probably changing it because based off the reactions, he's clearly like lo and behold the best thing about the movie. When has this franchise ever gotten outsized praise for a performance? So I think you're absolutely right. They're definitely going to shape the next one or two. Who knows how many films after that around Jason Momoa, because he's the reason that I want to come back for a sequel is to see more of him. And everybody's absolutely right. He keeps winning in this movie and it's shocking how in control of every situation he is to the point where, where there are some missteps on his behalf. It's, it feels surprising in a way that is, I think, compelling. That's how you write a good villain. You make them hard to beat. I will say, we, I mentioned earlier, there's so many characters and we've mentioned kind of like a bunch of the performances are like not there or actively not good. I like Jason Statham. He does the very straight man thing, which he's done every movie, which works. I, am I the only one who's so tired of the Tyrese uh, ludicrous? Like the Roman Taj thing is just so yeah. drawn out and it's not funny at all. Like it used to be funny. Like, and in this movie, like every time they're on screen is just audibly like, Oh brother, the, the their dynamic is just so stretched out. It's it's so bad. And and even with she's barely in the movie. Jordana Brewster is um Dom's sister. You know, she's one of the OG people from the original movies. It's like, why are you here? Why are you here? Like, I I know that like it's the only reason they bring her is because it's kind of like a proximity. Uh, casting to you know Brian who Paul Walker unfortunately passed a long time ago and you can't bring him back unless you CGI him again which I would not be surprised if they do in the next two movies I just have the feeling they will do that sadly you know with Jordana Brewster it's like you have your like own kids shouldn't you like be with them like it and it, it just it takes me out because in my mind there's like there's no way that like Brian would not be there to help everyone else out so every time like Mia is there, it just takes me out because I'm like, okay, but then Brian would be there. Like, Brian obviously would. He's like, you're telling me he's not going to come to help Dom, like, at all once? Like, come on. See, but that's why I like her there. That was the, That's the one thing I give the last movie some credit on is using her more because she's been so underutilized for a while now. And I like her character a lot. I wish they would do more with her. So it was kind of a bummer that she was only in that great fight scene at the house but yeah like I do agree like where are your kids she is the last link to Brian so like I welcome that but I wish they would give her more there were so many instances in this movie where there was just like just a brief scene and then they're gone all of the stuff with Han and Shaw they used that as the marketing campaign for F9 like justice was coming that was not justice. That was just, we're going to fight really briefly and then we're going to be on the same side. And then Shaw's going to be like, okay, bye. Gotta but go family. potentially save my mom. Yes, but family. <laughs> it's always about family. And I hope that Shaw's going to call up his sister, Vanessa Kirby, and she make an appearance in the next movie because if you're going out to save your mom, you better call up your sister too. Yeah, in terms of characters popping up here and there, it really does stretch believability at times. And again, again, I know, I know. Believability, the Fast franchise, two things that will never happen and will, are never meant to be <laughs> at the same time. But 
there are many scenes where characters will just kind of walk into frame <laughs> and you're like, oh, hi, Helen Mirren. Hello, Brie Larson. I'm glad you made it to Rio, I guess. It just is almost comical. And again, it, it adds to that soap opera energy where people will just turn a corner and suddenly their biggest enemy in the world is right there. And that Shaw-Han fight is comically brief. And also, if you're going off of where we are in the movie at that point, Han, in the previous aforementioned scene with Pete Davidson, eats laced muffins for some reason. Don't worry about it. But that is not evident in the fight scene. And you would think that would be a funny thing that they could have expanded on and made for an interesting fight. But they just completely drop it. Again, I'm nitpicking. But it's just the kind of obvious thing that you would think they would use to bring some energy to their movie. But they just they just don't do anything with that. But that's okay. We can move move past it. I was just going to say, as non-spoilery as possible, do you think that one character is actually gone? From, like, the third act action. No. <laughs> oh. no. I just, like, you want to believe it, but then, like, immediately how the, uh, no spoilers, how the movie ends. Yeah. It's yeah. like, I like you can't, like, you just can't believe anything you watch. It's become Marvel, where it's like, they're, like, they're comic book characters. Like, at this point, it's like, no, everyone's fine. There's no stakes in that sort of way. I'm avoiding spoilers. The ending also uh, happens. I literally looked up, like I was eating popcorn, saw that, and then in my mind, like the way you're watching movie, it feels like there's like 20 more minutes. Like I was like, I feel like there's like 20 more minutes. Like I thought it was gonna be like a way longer movie, and then it just ends. It just ends, and then I'm like, there's no, no way. Like there's no way this movie's just over, at all. Like I couldn't. I just sat there, like looking around, and I was just like, there's no way. The thing about these movies is you have to look at them like a round of Super, Super Smash Brothers, where characters have multiple <laughs> lives, good guys can be bad, and vice versa. They can team up with whoever they want. There's no allegiances or weight to this. It really is just meant to be fun. Just people flying around and throwing things at each other. Yeah. All right. I think we're about ready to move into final thoughts. So let's go around one more time. Anything that hasn't been said yet? Brendan, anything from you? Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today. I guess I would only say that I like the ending. <laughs> Maybe it's because I knew from early buzz that it did have this cliffhanger ending i knew that going in i knew how long the movie was and it did feel like an ending insofar as the ending of a three-part or two-part or who knows maybe even five-part ending I, there's this shot no spoilers but there's this shot at a decisive moment that flies through the innards of a car that I really liked. As I say, I just did really enjoyed how much the camera was moving around and doing stuff. Maybe it's because 
my expectation for interesting visuals is so low these days from blockbusters that aren't made by Christopher Nolan, Denis Villeneuve or whatever. But I genuinely really enjoyed just sitting back and seeing what shit Leterry is going to do with the camera. And he ends the movie with another cool shot. The CGI is iffy, but in the movie's defense, if you could say it's a defense, CGI is a big issue right now because as people know, and I've brought this up on the podcast in the, in, in the past, as people know, there's been a few articles now about how visual effects houses are kind of overburdened with the work. They are underpaid. And because of that, we're seeing a lot of movies now with very bad CGI, a bunch of Marvel movies in a row had iffy visual effects. Just recently, a lot of reviews for the new Indiana Jones accused that movie of having bad visual effects. This movie has bad visual effects. It's just something that is beyond one film and that doesn't make this movie better. But it also lets me as a viewer be a little bit more generous when I see a movie with bad visual effects right now. I get that we miss the practical stunts of the previous movies. Trust me, I do too. I'm more excited than anybody for Mission 7, Dead Reckoning, uh, later this summer. But that's why I guess I'm being a little bit more generous to this movie than I might have been otherwise with so much garish CGI. I don't think it's a great movie, but I did have a good time just because of the visual sensibility to it, the stakes, and the fact that action wasn't just, I don't know, random action scenes. A lot of it felt like it had an idea behind them. Giovanni, what are your final furious thoughts? Sadly, I'll be seated for the next one. Like we mentioned earlier, just we're too deep into this to quit. It's We're stuck. We're glued in. I just hope the next one maybe is tied together a bit neater. I will say Momoa, as I mentioned earlier, awesome costume. The purple fit he wore in Rio with like the lavender. Oh, so good. And then the matching nails and the hairstyle. Perfect. I have no notes. That is the best. Besides that, there's very little for me to go and compliment. So I'm just going to end it there, Jason Momoa. Good way to end your final thoughts, Jason Momoa. How about you, Meredith? Someone that I that we didn't mention at all this entire podcast was Michelle Rodriguez as Letty. And I just want to, I particularly liked her fight scene against Charlize Theron, a cipher in that Antarctica agency prison. I just think she has always been a really great action actress. And she, to me, has continued to like keep that same intensity through each of these movies. And especially after seeing her in Dungeons and Dragons recently, like she just doesn't get enough credit in these movies. And I think that she should on the whole, I just really had fun with this movie. I think that the fast franchise kind of knows what it's doing as far as just being really easy crowd pleasing movies that feature cars that may feature saving the world or preventing the destruction of a city they're their own superhero franchise and as a fan of superhero franchises this was my justice league sorry to Zack snyder this was my justice league and will how about you i guess i'll throw a compliment i thought if we're talking about that black site prison i thought at least when we first walk in there there was some interesting production design we follow brie larson through all these gates and there are these interlocking like mesh seemingly made of obsidian or something i don't know i thought there was cool production design element 
specifically bad element. I thought the music editing in this was awful. There are almost no moments in the film that don't have either a melodramatic score or a recognizable song stitch in there. And the way the film transitions, which I mentioned earlier, jumping between the storylines, but even within scenes, the music transitions are distractingly bad at times. Leaping from score into a recognizable pop song and then out again. So that's like a, I don't know, I mean like a inexplicably bad craft element on display here. Yeah, I honestly don't have that much else to add beyond what we've already discussed here, though. I also quite liked the interlocking gates of that strange black site prison. I really didn't understand why their med bay had some sort of evil laser robot thing, but that's beyond the points. Overall, this movie, kind of disappointing for me, although with the trajectory of these films, they just keep driving downhill. I should not be surprised, but... Like Giovanni said, I'm definitely going to be seated for the next one and the next one and the next one tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. I will be there. I'm locked in at this point. I'm My seatbelt is fastened and I'll be watching. But I'm going to go ahead and give this one a 4 out of 10, which means it's not the worst of the franchise. I'd say it's still better than Tokyo Drift and the fourth film, which is just Fast, Ampress, and Furious. But... Definitely represents a downward slope for these films. Brendan, what are you giving this one? I will give it a 6 out of 10. All right. Giovanni? Uh, 3 out of 10. 3 out of 10. Oh, boy. Meredith, how about you? I'm also going to give it a 6 out of 10. And Will? 4 out of 10. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. So we're mostly all in alignment here. You know, nobody's really going heavy to bat for this film. Okay, the part you all came here for, Oscar prospects for Fast X. What do we think? <laughs> Lewis Best picture. picture. Let's go. Best picture. Best supporting actor, Jason Momoa. Let's go. Will, did you say lone directing nomination? Yeah. <laughs> the David Lynch route. <laughs> we just have to accept the possibility that... This is going to be this year's Top Gun Maverick of the Oscars. Come on, guys. Yes. No, but you know, I bet, I almost guarantee there will be some random regional critics group, like Utah Critics Association or something, that will give Jason Momoa like their runner-up or their win for Best Supporting Actor. There will be like a couple critic groups who like meme that into being. It won't go anywhere, but like he'll get. He, I guarantee you, he'll get like a random critics group win. Right. I mean, that's how, again, the comparison I made earlier, Johnny Depp and Pirates of the Caribbean, which I believe was also a May release, and that ended up being an Oscar nominee. I'm not saying this is going to be an Oscar nominee, but it started with people, you know, recognizing a interesting, fun, lightning in a bottle performance from an actor that previously has been respected, but never quite given his due credit. In all seriousness, this franchise, the Oscars have been allergic to this franchise thus far, even in categories that you think it might be compete in such as the sound categories we all know they love driving and vehicular movies in sound and yet none of these films have even come close to factoring in the closest i'd say this franchise has ever come to anything resembling oscar of attention was the song see you again from furious 7 which i believe at least got a critics choice nomination and some regional critics notices for best song and in that best song year of 2015 which is a famously rough lineup that ends with writings on the wall winning from sam smith 
I would not have said no to having that be a nominee. But at this point, Oscar's not going anywhere near this movie. It's just not happening. Sorry, fans, I guess. <laughs> but I don't think anybody's going to be too sad about that. Okay, well, I think that's going to do it here for our review of Fast X over here in the Next Best Picture podcast. Thank you all so much for letting me fill Matt's illustrious shoes for once while he's over in France. I think he's currently watching (laughs) Killers of the Flower Moon as we speak. So who's having the better time? I couldn't tell you. Anyway, Brendan, where can everyone find you on the Internet? Everybody can find me at Metaplex Movies on Letterboxd and Twitter.com or by searching Brendan Hodges. Giovanni? You can find me on Twitter at the Giovanni Lago. Meredith? You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Meredith Loftus. And last but not least, Mr. William Mavity. You can find me on Twitter at Mavix Movies. And you can find me, Cody, on Twitter, Letterboxd, and Instagram at CodyMonster91. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so, so much for listening, as always. And as Matt always says, We will see you all next time. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased, and essential world news daily.